you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski is Stephen Burroughs. I've known Steve for almost 35 years. The award-winning Burroughs was in Barron's Barracudas, the first Herald team I ever saw. It was actually the first Herald team ever. Yeah, that's right. Steve's gone on to direct, act, and write films, but his HBO documentary Bleed Out is getting him well-deserved critical raves. Bleed Out documents the grueling journey he and his family went through when his mother's hip surgery went horribly wrong. It was a 10-year journey to discover who was responsible and pursue justice. It's also a personal journey, as you can imagine. It's an amazing film, an amazing story, and this is an amazing pod chat. Here we go. You know, every every time I think that I've had this huge loss of, you know, sense of humanity, my God, then people like uh, Laura, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. People like Laura show up. Right. start doing kind things right and it's amazing right now for me just coming off this whole thing for us is little kind act you know uh, acts of kindness it's a really I, I'm like I'm constantly like choked up somebody like opens a door for me somewhere I'm like oh god thank you do you think that you have like a PTSD situation happening uh, I, I think you know my wife has warned me of that Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know Bob Harris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob, he, he went through a, a whole thing, and um, he saw a cut of this a couple years ago. I showed him a, actually the people that I uh, hooked up with on this film in New York. I met through Bob. Mm-hmm. So Bob is a there's no film without Bob. And he warned me. He said you're gonna like have like you know you're gonna have some issues down the road as you wrap up this thing and. I've been so like just trying to finish it and get through it, but I, you know, yeah. Maybe. Well, the emotion, you know, I think that tunnel vision, you've got the tunnel vision thing, and it's like a project that we're working on, a project we're working on, but we're not really taking care of ourselves. And, no. and in, um, in, in the movie, I don't know if you had a part where you were talking about taking care of yourself. Somebody did mention it, right? Like, you got, did anybody mention to you that, you need to take care of yourself. Um, I, I, my my aunt, who's the nurse in the film, right? She she was constantly encouraging my wife and I to, hey, you know, you're not going to be any good to your mom or anybody if you're not well. My my wife has MS, so we've we've always erred on the side of caution with her. And my wife is very even keeled, you know, very level. I'm has she always been that way? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I've never, I never, I've never given it a, a thought really until like right now when you just talked about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what are you talking about taking care of myself? But I have no idea because there's been, you know, I don't know if it's the showbiz thing or if it was the high drama of our legal thing and the medical thing. But I was, I've been so focused to number one take care of my mother, right. and then my uncle, the doctor, came in and said this was a dirty deed and. You know, this, these records are fake, and I'm like, what? And then the further we dig into the legal part of it and the medical part of it, it seems like it's kind of dirty. Right. And then I want justice. Right. And then I'm focused on my mother and getting her justice. And then I have this side project, the film, which was always a distant plan C. That's unbelievable that you're doing both those fucking things at the same time. That you're dealing with 
that, that you were dealing with the trauma of de- of dealing with your mother and how did how did you do the movie while you were doing that like how did you do how did you do how do you do double duty for that because really it it's i i don't even know i don't even have a good example of what that would be what would that it is what it is your your mother is in this crisis situation and you are filming it and taking it on and you're filming it in such a way that it's fucking compelling. I mean, I know that the editing was all done. The a lot, like ninety five percent, maybe, was editing, uh, was putting it together. But man, it, it like how did how did you how did you psychically manage that shit? Huh. You, uh, I I don't know. Well, that that's a, that is a really fucking great question. I, I think, didn't think about it until this moment. I, I, I haven't even I've never thought about it, but I think. One of the things, you know, I just I just recently watched. Um, I don't know if you saw it was posted by Rich Label a while ago, a, a Herald that we did, mm-hmm. and I've been meaning to watch it. I watched it last night because mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in thirty years. Right. Um, and I watched. That wasn't it. the one on Second City Stage. That was no. the one on the uh, the Crossroads. Impre- that's correct. Yeah. And I watched it last night with my wife, and I was wondering. You know, she asked. She goes, "How?" Like I, I didn't know what to expect because I haven't seen something like that in a long time, and I haven't certainly done. It's at least thirty years. Yes, it was eighty-seven. It's it's marked eighty-seven, and it's forty like forty something minutes long. Right. And I was expecting it to be a complete and utter train wreck. That's something we did as crazy kids all those years ago. And I'm watching this thing. There's some really good work being done here. I mean, some r- unbelievable le- levels of trust and connections and and my wife says to me last night she watched it with me too and she was never a part oh, of God any of that bless her for watching that yeah, and she watched it and she uh she's a farm girl from michigan mm-hmm. right she's watching this improv we, we, we take you know of course did, she's never seen it she's never seen never that. she's never seen me do it and, right. I, and i said well yeah, what we would do is we go up there as a group and we take a, a one word suggestion and then we'd improvise for 30 to 40 minutes on it she's like how do you do that well so last night we I pull it out because I wanted to see because it was one of the times I know that you and I performed together, and we watched it and I was I was kind of astounded at um, it, it was I was surprised at how tight it was and how focused it was and how funny it was and I, I and she said to me how how did you guys do that and I told her last night we really trusted in the moment. You know, we just trusted that we were all there. And I think to answer your question, for me, how I got through my mom's care and the lawsuit and the um, the film simultaneously is I, I really didn't look too far ahead. I trusted, I, I really tried to um, just, what do I have to, what fire am I putting out now? And I'm going to try to do the best I can right there. I just dealt with the present I didn't. I wasn't thinking forward. If I if I would have been thinking forward on any of these things, is my mom going to wake up from the coma? Is this lawsuit going to be lost seven years from now? Is is this film ever going to be made, or is it going to just be something that's sitting in my garage? I would have been paralyzed with fear, and I would have just freaked out, and none of this would have existed. But I never. I I, I feel like I trusted my inner Del Close, truth and comedy. Barracuda, Harold. It's a part of me. It's always been a part of me. 
it's the reason I had the, you know, I came out here. Right. Because I thought maybe I could do something out here. Right. But I think that to me, I, I, I got through it staying in the moment, not looking right. and just trusting that, okay, if I'm here now, um, and my, my scene partner, and this was my wife and my aunt, the nurse. Right. Those are my scene partners here through this mess. Um, God, there's so much to fucking unpack in that. There's just so much to unpack. And the interesting thing that looking at that is like, that wasn't, that was like an, an amalgamation of different people who weren't necessarily all in one group. That show. It wasn't, I mean, you were in Barron's and we were in Grime and Punishment, whatever right. that was. But uh, there's, there's just that. That's anecdotal. Um, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it, like you would be paralyzed if you were going to say, what is it? So there's this thing called liminal space. Liminal space is a space in between, the way that I understood it, liminal space is a space in between two events that happen, we'll say, or two emotions. Mm -hmm. So you're in one emotion, and then, so it's not like you go right from one emotion to another emotion. You go from one emotion, and those of us who are aware of something having happened are aware that we're no longer in that emotion and we're in another emotion. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So there's, but there's, so it's not, it doesn't cross over. Something happens, it stops, you notice that that happens, and then you, you then engage or accept and engage in that new emotion. The, the space between that is called a liminal, a liminal space. Hmm. And, and when we're aware that we're living in that liminal space, we don't do anything but sit in it. We go, it is going to take care, I, it's a phrase that I've used so many times, I will know what I need to know when I need to know what I need to know. And so in the meantime, I get to fucking sit in this moment here and just sit in it. Because if I'm going to do something else, I am not going to be able to give focus to that which I'm presently uh, in. Mm -hmm. Not Regardless of whether I want to be in it or regardless of whether I don't want to be in it, I'm fucking in it. And when we're in that moment, I look and I go, wow, wow, just to fucking sit in it. There have been so many, and I know that I, I watching it, I'm watching uh, Bleed Out, I know, I, I was watching you thinking, right now, St Steve's in this liminal space. He's just sitting here, like when, when you had the meeting, I don't know if I'm talking, you know what, I, when you had the meeting with your family at your mom's house and you're all sitting there and your aunt and your uncle are over there mm -hmm. and just to watch you, I don't think it was a birthday, maybe it was a birthday, and I'm just watching you just sit in it, just fucking sit in it and stew. And I don't think you could have done this if you weren't aware of yourself sitting in it. I, I, I think that that, I think you are 100% correct. That, there's a scene in that film and the one you're referring to, I think is, is a scene where we were trying to decide whether this was something we were going to move forward on or not, whether we had enough money to move forward. And my uncle, the doctor in the, in real life, it's not in the film, it's real life. Right. And it is in the film, but it's real life. Right. And <laughs> like, I keep saying, like, sometimes I look at that, I go, that actually happened. And this moment that you're talking about is my uncle says to the family, including my mother, I think they falsified the records. And I think this is a dirty deed. And I was surprised that he was articulating it, not only openly, because he's a doctor, but he's saying it to the family, and he knows there's a camera there. Right. And there's a shot that my editor, I mean, there's a shot of me, like, in the moment. I, I Every time I see this film, there's this moment where Ted, my uncle, kind of breaks. It's the inciting incident of the movie, and it's the inciting incident of, of my life, by the way. Right. 
when Ted changed my life where he said, this thing is dirty and we have to pursue it. And I look, there's a shot on film of me in that, what's it called? The little. Yes, that's me right there in that moment going, there it is. And everything changed for me in my life, like forever, one way or the other, good, bad, or ugly. And it's actually on film. And the interesting thing is, the, what you said, that, that changed my life forever, good, bad, or ugly. That's an acceptance of what it is that's happening in that moment. You know, that, uh, so it's, 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 a, it's, a spirit, it's a spiritual journey that you are on. It's also really a Buddhist thing that you were doing. The idea of like, like the, only, the only source of suffering is not acceptance. And the idea of this is what's happening, good, bad, or ugly. I am in this moment at this moment. And, and you know, you talk about the, the del close of it all. That's really what he was fucking all about, looking at that. I remember him yelling at me many times, but one time in particular, I remember him yelling at me saying, stop fucking acting and pay attention to the fucking moment that's here. Leave your character outside and fucking stop it because you're bullshitting, you're not fucking paying attention. And the moment is here right now and you want to make it something else. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, there was a... I, I, I remember a moment where... Um... I mean, I was, you know, I, I can't speak for all of us or any of us, but, you know, the fear of getting on the wrong side of Dell by not either following the rules or the the agreements and or one time I, I mean, I was so young and I, I was a total believer. And by the way, I still am, right. but I was still learning and I wanted to be funny and I wanted to be clever. And I noticed that anytime I was trying to be funny or clever, um, I got smacked down. And I didn't understand it at first because I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, that's pretty clever. Wasn't, it? Wasn't that kind of witty? It's like, no, shut up. You're, you've just broken your own, you know, you're, you're, you've just sabotaged your own partner and your own team. And, and I learned pretty quickly. But in the early days, I was trying very hard to impress because I knew Dell was back there in the dark somewhere. Right. And we always knew that when we made a connection of some kind, you could hear him. And, <clears throat> you know, right. It was like, that was the best when he kind of gave it up a little grunt or something. Just a grunt, just a sound. Um, you weren't going to get much more than that. No. Ever. No. It's not like he's going to run from the back of the room to, to the stage and go, that was all a genius. No. No. Uh, but I, 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 I was on the receiving end a couple times because I was trying to be uh, funny. Right. And pushing yeah. it, like not in the moment, thinking ahead. Oh, I know what I can do in the next scene. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm oh I'm gonna I'm gonna project something now. I'm gonna write I'm gonna write the next two scenes. I'm gonna put an Easter egg here so I can go get it later. That's exactly right. And boy, how many times does that work? Right. And and you gotta force it to make that work. You may lay it there and go, I gotta right. remember that that's there. And in the meantime, the, the world is going on. <laughs> right. The scene is going on, and all that you're thinking of is like, is this the time for me to, to fucking right. discover that Easter egg? Is this it? Did my seven other partners up here on stage, did they hear my great fucking Easter egg idea that no one's catching on to that I'm gonna now bring back again? Because I know the audience is waiting for it. <laughs> and now I'm just, now I'm an asshole. Right. You know, now I'm the asshole who tried to force something. And I tell you what. Whatever, I mean, whatever it was worth. When I watched that piece last night, I saw a, a, a bunch of performers that... And we, we, we were not working together consistently, the, mm-hmm. the group that I saw last right, night. Right, right. We were two different groups, but right. you, you couldn't tell. It was... We were so supportive and um, 
the gamesmanship that came out of yep. some of that stuff in that random herald that was caught on tape. Yep. 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 I was I was really so pleasantly surprised and yet not surprised. I I was when I when I watched that I was really blown away by how fearless we were and how connected we were. I don't give a shit about what's going on outside of that. The fearlessness, like how did we do that? I know you still do it. I still do it, and I do it. I do it in a different way. But uh, when I say a different way, is there's, I will work with people that I've never worked with before in front of you know, in front of hundreds of people. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, and I'd learn that from there. I'd learn that. I'd learn that. Well, I learned that from there, and I learned that from Second City, and you probably you learn it from there, and you learn it from you know being at the Groundlings because you were there. Yeah, I was at the too. Groundlings. Yeah, and what you learn is, is it's just one moment in my fucking life. So the fuck what? You know, I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to, I'm going to be up here and, and watching you guys, um, watching Barons Barracudas, I mean, you guys were the shit, man. I mean, you really, really were. And watching you guys be fearless and listen and, and, and you and John Judd and Brian Crane and Bill Russell <laughs> and all these guys in Pasquese, certainly, and uh, 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 Honor Finnegan, uh, like watching you guys gone. They're not, I remember the first Harold I ever saw was you guys. The first Herald that I ever saw, and I, I had no idea what a Herald is, I probably still don't, I had no idea what a Herald is, and all that I knew was I could not fucking believe for the life of me that that was improvised. I don't, I did not know how that happened, and I know that everybody's going through there, and it took me a number of times to watch that, to go, this is improvised, this is fucking improvised, and that, that was the magic, that was the connection. But that has never changed, the idea of, I need you to tell me who I am. I need you to lay the groundwork for me. You, it's a selfless thing. And I remembered, I remember life lessons there. For example, I remember walking out of, and I'm sure that you do too, and I'd love to hear them. The moment, I remember the moment that I walked out of doing a show or a rehearsal or something like that. It wasn't a class, but walking out of doing a show and and walking down um, uh, Wilton uh, and thinking, that was a fucking great show. And I thought, I've never said that before. I never said that was a great show. Why do I feel that that was a great show? And I realized it's because I didn't care. I fucking didn't care. I didn't care about the outcome. Again, living in that moment, because that fucking moment will take care of itself. Are you aware that there's that moment? Well, my first, I, I had a moment similar to your moment with the original Barracudas. Um, I had taken a class with Sharna. I'd taken one class. I'd never seen a Herald. I didn't know what it was. I saw a flyer somewhere, and it's like, do improv games. And I took this thing, and and the, the John Judd and I started the same day. John Judd and I started in show business the same day, in the same class. And it was like a Thursday class, and there was Tuesday shows and a Saturday show. And we went to the Tuesday show, and I saw the original Barracudas. Which is who? Uh, it was JJ. Um, That's right. Beltsman. Joel, um, Howard Johnson, David, David, yeah, David Pasquese, um, uh, Barnes, right, Barnes Beltsman, Chris Barnes, and oh gosh, a woman. There was a woman. I want. Was to it say. Judy Nielsen? No, 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 it was not Judy. Um, oh boy, I'm blanking on this gal. It could have been Tara Gallagher, maybe. Tara Gallagher. I bet it was Tara. I think it was her. Yeah, because I remember seeing her on your, on, on, on Barron's. Right. Right. So, and I saw a show. It was the first Herald I ever saw. I had no idea what I was seeing. And um, 
I remember years later, you know, you hear, oh, well, Sharon would say, well, we usually take a theme from the audience. It could be anything as mundane as, you know, cardboard or whatever. Right. This was the cardboard show. <laughs> I didn't know that, though. Because somebody, somebody said, oh, we're going to take a theme, right? Right. And a suggestion. I was a suggestion. And yeah. I was at this show, and I saw the Barracudas up there. And somebody said cardboard. And I'm thinking, cardboard? These people, they're fucked. What are they going to do with that? Because I, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't privy to it yet. No. I just thought I was doing, you know, uh, Hotspot in the, in the classes. Right, the, the game so, of Hotspot. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And this, to this day, is a, one of the defining moments of my entire life. I saw that original Barracudas do a herald, a 30, 35-minute herald. Right, it was on, really long back then. On cardboard. Right. And they had cowboys and all that. They, they were in a space. Right. They were all over the place. And then all of a sudden, they all they tied it all up. And it's still one of the greatest moments of, of my uh, theater-going experiences. Give me a second. Yeah. Uh, what just happened? I don't know if you could tell. Uh, our electricity's out. Oh. And uh, I can't. in the entire neighborhood. Um, where it's at? Da, da, da. Here we go. Um, and we're back. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I saw this one show. It, it was the cardboard show. Right. And it became this iconic, uh, you know, the mundane theme example. Right. And it was it was the greatest thing I had ever seen and still one of the greatest things I have ever seen. I, I, I absolutely understand. Changed that. my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, to, and to have, and to know again, because we're talking about two different moments, that, we're talking about two different moments that you've had where it changed your life. Um, an, another one let me change this a little bit figuring out what's going on there um, I'm going to do a little test 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 beautiful okay um, so you've had two the, the moment where your uncle said that thing at their line yeah. that was one of those seminal moments mm-hmm. and this was a really fucking seminal moment and and to be aware of those moments and to say everything from this moment on is going to be different than the moment before like the idea of going back to the movie when you discovered that your mother had brain damage. Like at that moment, that seemed like another one of those, those moments where you go, everything from this fucking moment on is going to be different. And what I was also thinking is the brain is permanent. There's no getting back. No, when that neurologist came in, because she had sat there for a couple of days and no one, no one noticed she was in a coma. Mm-hmm. And I got into a fight with this ICU doctor who was telling me my mom's fine. She wants. To, she goes, I heard you were on Seinfeld and I heard you were on Super Bowl commercials. And I'm like, you know, my mom hasn't been awake now for two days. I need to stress to you, I need to know why. And we, we got into this, we got into a fight in the ICU and which led to this neurologist coming in and telling me that my mom was in a vegetative state. Right. And that's... You know, and all these. Even though in our conversation already, I've said I've, there's three moments that have changed my life. Right. If I were to write down all the moments of in my head right now that changed my life, there aren't that many. Right. But three have just come up right now because right. my mom laying there, like you said, the brain. Right. Like she's never going to wake up. And he said, "Well, we well we don't think so. She might. But she might not." Like, this is hip surgery. What are you talking about? Right. And we, we, we didn't know at that point if she was going to survive. Isn't it also, because there was that one, uh, uh, the, so later on, and 
and I I so seldom I so seldom uh, have these podcasts with people where I'm I'm describing what's going on in a movie because many many people haven't seen the movie yet. Um, but I, I have to do that. So there was a point in that movie where where she gets out and she's finally home or mm-hmm. you give her an opportunity to come back home and you're all sitting there wondering what are we going to do now mm-hmm. and I'm watching her and I'm thinking there she is she's sitting there she's fine is that fair enough to say she's sitting there she's fine which in a in a weird way is kind of like a miracle that she's sitting there and you have your mom back and she's in a place where it's like that's familiar that's supposed to be there that was the feeling that I got from there. She was, she looked fine. This was one of those things where you you, you can't always see the damage, uh, you can't always see brain damage. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people saw her with, she always took care of her hair, she loved her clothes, and she sounded okay. And, you know, she could move her arms. But what I knew that people didn't necessarily understand was that she was deeply cognitively compromised. Got it. With the executive functions and the decision making, and the stuff only, that we like couldn't make coffee. You have more. You have more. You have you have nomenclature that you shouldn't ha- know. You know. You know terms that you that one shouldn't need to know. Yeah. It's sort of like living. Like I should not know the secretary of education. I should not know who the fuck that person is. But I know that's Betsy right. DeVos. I should not fucking know right. Steve Mnuchin. I should not know his fucking name. I should not know these people's fucking names. But we have these crisis situations that forces us right. to know what the fuck is going on. You know, We're what obligated, I think, at this point to know these people because oh. they need to be stopped at any, you know, any, way, any, way, we have, any way we can. And we have to be aware. And yes. we have to be just like when my mother was. Uh, my mother, um, I think we're going on this uh, the second or third anniversary of her death. Um, she had uh, uh, they found a spot in her bladder, and she had to have you know a, a, an operation. And there's terminology. There's terminology that I that I have in my head that I just can't access right now. That it's like I shouldn't know what that is. I shouldn't mm-hmm. know what that is. I shouldn't know what that is. But when you're living your life these things come at you, and you're like, I've got to be informed about what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. And when you're taking care of your mom, you're fucking taking care of your mom. Like, there's no... You have to do these things. The sacrifice that you made. So when I asked you about PTSD, I was like, I fucking truly you know, want, want you to know that because you have been through this fucking battle. Yeah. And this battle is so fucking intense. And to see... And it's not only... <laughs> when I think about the battle, you always think about you know uh, Winston Churchill being in the bunker and having the maps here and like well, I don't care what you do and like having the maps out and you had this fucking board up there yeah and I don't know if the board was for editing purposes or no that, no that, that board that was a war room right we, we turned my little tiny dining room uh, I just started putting shit on the wall so I could make sense of first the medical stuff and right. then the legal stuff. It seemed like you were making a movie. I had I, it wasn't the movie, but it turned out to be in a, in a very Del Closian, Barracuda, Truth and Comedy, heraldish way. The, it became a film. I mean, right. it, one of the things I'm so happy with is that even though so many people who don't know that what we've been through, and you know, uh, with, with the, the Herald and the all that comedy improv stuff is this there was only only one way really for this herald in my life to end it was with a with a film 
You know, that that's really, this was a good ending to my life herald for the story that started with my mother and then the lawsuit and then, oh my gosh, can we do something with this? Right. And it became very clear in this lawsuit that, you know, 90%, as we say, in the, I mean, it's the third leading cause of death in America and right. 90% of the very best cases lose. Right. And I'm still thinking... Slam dunk here. Right. We're, 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 the, we're the exception. But then I started to realize with my wife, this film is our backup. You know, and plan C then became plan B. What's the backup? Then, when you say the backup, what do you mean? Well, like my aunt would always say, um, my aunt, she supported the lawsuit. She paid for the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And she would say to me, Steve, I really think you should be making a film. You know, because mm-hmm. that's all we've got. for If we really want the truth... To come out because the truth is not going to come out at trial. The, uh, what we found out the hard way is that uh, the court case is not about the truth. It's about who argues best, right. who has the best lawyers. I don't want this to sound like I, like I don't want to come across as like Ted Kaczynski conspiracy type, but I was warned that a court case we all believe we want it to be about from our, you know, the verdict and all our favorite TV shows and stuff, that it's all about the truth and the truth comes out and the truth will out. And what I saw for seven years is that I saw incredibly smart, high-powered lawyers who were getting paid a lot of money doing everything they could to have the basic facts of this case be withheld from a jury. And that was the battle. It wasn't a battle for what happened or negligence or accountability or transparency. It was about what can we limit this jury? That was that was the that was the that was the defense attorney saying. Yes, that, that not was your not our attorney. Right. So we're in a battle for all right, here's whatever the truth is. Right. Let's just say here's the truth. Right. Is that going to be out in the open or is it going to be covered up? Is it going to a little partial part of the truth, a little bit of the truth, some of the truth, half truth, a quarter of the truth? This is what fucking drove me nuts. So this is why, in the end, we decided to move forward with the film because my aunt would tell me the only way that we're ever going to get the real story out of what happened to your mother, and by the way, that it's the third leading cause of death in America, right. is if we have the opportunity to uh, tell it in a manner that's not going to necessarily be limited by all the, uh, the the rules of the court of law, but the court of public opinion. Right. That's why I decided to start filming everything. And like a lot of the stuff in the film, uh, the deposition sequences, for instance, of all the doctors lying under oath. Yeah. Jerry didn't see a lot of that. Right. Because... How could they have? I mean, I know what I mean is, how could they have come to that decision if they had oh, seen right. that stuff? Yeah. That's yeah. Right, mean. right. Yeah, they saw some of it. They heard some of it. Right. But what you guys saw in the film is a, a, a much bigger representation of what really happened. Mm-hmm. And the jury got a 30% of that. Right. And that's when I realized how important, at least for my mother's you know, legacy, uh, that the film was. And that's when I started taking it very seriously. Uh you talk about the truth, you're talking about the truth will, you know, the, the, the myth of the truth will... The, the, the myth, myth. The myth of the truth. Yes. The myth that there is justice. Now there's a book right there. Yeah. The myth that there is justice and the myth that there is truth. And we're living in a time now where the, where the question of what is fact and what is truth and what is justice is just laid out 
every day in this what fresh hell t- times we're living. How are we in. even here? You know, like, right? really, like how how is I mean we know we hear it like what is the it's the post truth like uh, the Trump. You know, he he lies. How many he's lied ten thousand times? Yeah, like openly, right? With no accountability, right? So am I? So we've got we've got a president who fucking at his at his best bullshits and at his worst tells huge, unbelievable fucking lies. And I'm trying to figure out why, you know, it was so hard at our trial. Right. <laughs> right. He's, of course. Right. He's that's the tip of the iceberg. That's the fucking tip of the iceberg. And underneath the tip of the iceberg is the fucking huge iceberg. And that iceberg is, what the fuck can you get away with? What the fuck yeah. bullshit can you get away with? And, uh, and, 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 and watching Bleed Out, you know, it was that where you go, justice is going to fucking prevail. It's going to fucking prevail. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Justice will prevail. And, and, you know, and Laura and I are watching this and it was laid out so fucking well, meticulously well, that you're going, every step was taken care of. And, and a phrase that I have with teaching is the product of improvisation is the process of improvising. We don't go to see an improv show to see the end. We go to see an improv show to watch the process of exactly. the improv show. Right. We and in order for us to watch the process of the improv show, and it's you, you know, you laying that Easter egg down. If somebody shortcuts that process, we feel ripped off and right. we don't feel connected. That's right. And so, in the meticulous way that you fucking laid that thing out, um, it was crazy, Steve. It was. It was. It was. Did you know that you? Did you ever know that you fucking had it in you to, to? to was there any evidence of your life prior up to that point? Well, you've done movies and stuff like that before of saying I can hold this shit together. I'm going to keep this together. And when I say this, what I mean is the movie, the film, like holding that together. Like, like you got coverage. And like, how did you get that fucking coverage? <laughs> and this is this could also be, you don't need to answer that question, but no, like, you got fucking coverage of shit and. And um, I, I didn't see your wife until maybe a third of the way in. Right. Right? Right. <clears throat> That's when she basically, in real life, became, you know, she was kind of holding down the fort, you know, in the early years here while I was back and forth to Wisconsin. Right. And then I, I needed her, you know, and she, we needed each other. And I, I, I tell this, I mean, this is the truth. I, I would not be here without her. Mm-hmm. Um, there wouldn't be, my mom would be dead. Mm-hmm. Um there would have been no lawsuit. There certainly wouldn't have been a film. And the only reason I'm still here is I, I got very lucky that I met the right person at O'Hare Airport 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was luck of the draw. I, mean, I just got lucky. And I knew another couple that got that, that met at, at an airport. Oh, really? Do you know Mark DiCarlo? Yeah. Mark and his wife, Yenny. I know who, I know who he is. I, I don't know him. I've yeah. Met him a few They're waiting in line. At yeah. The, at, 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 yeah, at we airport. were too. And we they had their wedding... At Van Nuys Airport, or you know, really? that's where they had their wedding. Where they met? Where no, they... oh, they just had their wedding. Oh, that's a good. Like idea. they rented out, or they right. a, a regional airport. <laughs> that's anyway, so you're saying you would not be here without? Well, I was just, uh, you, I think you were asking about how I did it, right? And right. I think I'll go back to how we started. I never thought too far ahead. Um, I happened to have a, a very supportive uh, life partner. Um, I also had an aunt who was kind of uh, not only very supportive and medically no, but, but she was also the war chest 
if she, if, if she didn't if she didn't pay for the there were a couple key cogs in the wheels here to keep this mission for truth going and extreme focus and trust that um, this was uh, worth it. I didn't know it was going to go on forever. Right. I didn't know. It, 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 like, it really did. I mean, we've heard this before. Weeks, days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. In our case, that is the truth. Was my mom going to survive? We didn't know she was going to make the week. Then she came out of it. And then she kind of rallied. And then she didn't. And But then we're like, oh, the trial's going to take three years. Oh, then it's going to take four. It's going to take seven. We didn't know that. Right. And I think, you know, my, I get asked all the time, if I knew now what I knew, if I knew then what I knew now. Yes, sir. Uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that question. That's I don't, I don't dumb, either. It's a dumb question. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I get it all the time. And I right. always say the same thing as like, I would do the same fucking thing. Probably because I'm going to, I was in the moment. Right. And I have the information I'm having. And I also, as you know, in life and what you do in your teaching and what you do in your performing, you believe in it. And... I happen to believe when I my uncle told me that they left her to die, I I believed it. And the more that I found out, I could not let that go. No. So as tough as it got, um, and there are many times I wanted to quit. You know, certainly the lawsuit. Fuck that. The movie. Why? Right. It's gonna take forever. Who's gonna wants to see this movie about my mom and her brain damage? Oh yeah, I'll do this for ten years. <laughs> no, no, that was not the you know. Until when HBO came along, I mean, this thing was dead on arrival until HBO came along, mm-hmm. and kind of they 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 gave me mouth to mouth resuscitation. Mm-hmm. Um, had it not been for you know Nancy at HBO who saw this little scissor reel I cut, I'd probably like uh, be in my garage, you know, shit faced on PBR. And maybe I should be right now. Right. But I, I think, you know, they, they gave me a, a chance to at least tell the the, the, the whole truth as best as like we could. Absolutely. But the focus, what I saw on our tape last night when I watched it, what I remember from all those days, what I still, even at the Groundlings and all the things that I've done and all the things you've done, I'm sure that it all goes back to, in, in my opinion, we, we, we trust in the moment. Our best is when we are in the moment and we're trusting this thing that's happening right now, good, bad, or ugly, and we use it, and we don't abuse it, and we don't cheat and make jokes or cheat and lay Easter eggs and be clever and be witty, and and because that shit always fails. It always right. it always goes, oh. You know, we see it all the time, too, on TV shows, oh, where they go, oh, no. Well, when I... When no, I, they a, did it. A major part of what I teach is, is point of view, and... Uh, uh, the point of view is this. It's like, what is it that you're talking about right now? If you say I'm hungry, your point of view is I'm hungry. That's your point of view. Your point of view isn't Pavilions is having a sale on crab and maybe I should get some. It's like holding on to that shit, knowing that that's where the fuck you are, and then living in that and knowing whatever is going to happen, you're going to be compelled. You're going to feel it. You're going to know what it is that you have to do. And again, watching the movie, I'm watching you. You you may not know that you're going to know what it is. You know what. You know that you're going to... I'm going to say this. You know that you're going to make the right move. 
I feel that you know that you're going to make the right move. It felt like watching the movie, it felt like every fucking move you made was the right move. So the question of would you do it differently if you were going to do it again, that's not really a fair question and it doesn't make any fucking sense right. at all. Right. Uh, it always and, pisses me off, actually. Well, for me, yeah, well, definitely. Because it's somebody that has never... Okay, I, I don't have... Uh, can I say this? I, I don't know. I have maybe two regrets in my life. And they're stupid. But the rest of my life is the life that I've lived. And I'm not going to go back and go, I shouldn't have done that. or you know, Because I wasn't airdropped into my life. The decisions that I make today are predicated on decisions that I made a moment ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm going to try this thing. It's like, this totally fucking makes sense what it is that we're doing right now. Whatever it's going to be. And, and when we live that, when we live that continuum of saying, I am compelled to do this, I'm compelled to do this, I'm compelled to do this, without regret, I think that, that the question of how, how are we um, courageous enough to do this, like, it has nothing to do with courage. You didn't see it as courage. You no. saw it as this was the trajectory, that this is where it was that you are, this is where it is that you are on that trajectory. And this is just what has to happen. Well, you, you just, there, there's this moment, and we've all had it, I know, uh, certainly in performing, the panicky, right? And one thing that I think that did not happen, and even in the worst times, and I credit it all going back to my, my early days of when I started to do this with you guys, um, is I, and there was many times throughout, as you can see, in the, certainly in the film, that were, there, there were panicky times. We never panicked. My wife and I were always, you know what? Things do not look good right now. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that the, the opposition were waiting for us to either drop out or quit or make a mistake or give up or fuck up. And I just trusted. I kept things pretty simple. <sighs> Stay on the case. Don't freak. Um which is probably this why I was able to maybe last as long as I did through this ten year siege, is I never I, ne- I was never running a hundred miles an hour. Right. You know, I, I I was running as fast as I needed to run at that particular time in that particular moment in that particular like trial. I'm on right, but when I'm taking care of my mother, I got to kind of step back and it's a different kind of. You just have to pace yourself. Right. Um, I prefer to run fast, but. I would have burned out. And also, your tempo is predicated on everybody else's tempo. I mean, you're running fast, and you know what it's like where you're doing an improv scene, and the, your partner suddenly has this really like fucked up emotion that's just so. You're like, how did you get there? Right. You're running too fast. Yeah. I I will grant you that level of that as long as you take me with you, or as long as I understand why you're doing that. But if suddenly you go, blah, you know, it's it's like. Curb your enthusiasm with Larry David, like suddenly like blowing up, and you got to go. How the fuck did that happen? Right. Yeah, I saw a couple. I mean, this is. Um, I probably shouldn't be referencing a, a thirty-year-old Harold that we did uh, on somebody videotaped all those years ago. But one of the one of the pleasures of watching this thing that we, we did uh, when I watched it last night was, um, I saw a moment where I actually made a big mistake at one point, and um, and it was with you. I did what you just described. <laughs> and you know what you did? You you bailed me out. 
you were do you you did something and I tried to do something uh, like physical and I would call it clever, right? And instead of you negating me or giving me the evil eye or shrugging and making some kind of like you know uh, this guy, fourth, this guy, yeah, fourth wall breakage, which you know. Right. <laughs> always seems to work and always seems to fuck you know it always it works temporarily and then it kills everything you you did this thing where you basically justified my decision uh, by doubling down on my bad decision and making it our reality and it was a beautiful thing to watch, I'll have to watch it again. and it happens a lot in that chunk with all of us and i think maybe it's because we were two separate groups performing as one and all still playing by the same rules however you know, some of us, like Label, would go on a, a tangent and we would just, you know, and there it was funny, but it was like we had to, now we have to justify this tangent. And and it works when you, ju- I mean, it just, it was a little thing of beauty. Yeah. And even my wife, who knows nothing about any of this stuff, she's like, wow, that's pretty interesting stuff. And you guys didn't plan any of that? Right. I'm like, no, we don't know what we're doing. I love the idea of not panicking. Yeah. Of that thing. Because that's a huge fucking thing. The idea of, of being in a, in a scene and not knowing what the fuck is going on and, and you going outside of... You, you leaving the one thing that is there to help you, which is your partner. And what can I do? And and to do that, th- the fourth wall going, how about this guy? Uh-huh. Or whatever. <laughs> Instead of saying... For me, I've always felt that the first line of dialogue doesn't set the scene. It's the second line of dialogue that sets the scene. So if somebody says, the Glarnars are coming and it's time to do the hoofers and it go, meow, 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 meow. And you go, if you want to say, you're crazy... I'm going to go, I don't think the Garners are coming. And the hoofers phone and they're not going to make it. Because why would I make want to make you fucking crazy? Right. Right. And it's one minute, of, it's a minute of my fucking life. Nobody's going to look at that and go, you know, how did you do, why did you do that? Or, right, you know, right, you, right. Why did you do that? And we've all been in those situations. I, I did a TED talk uh, about um, a lot of what we're talking about. Um, and, and in it, I mentioned uh, the fact that I was, I almost drowned in, um, I almost drowned in, in, uh, in a cave stream in New Zealand. Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, I really thought that I was going to, I thought this is the end. And I remember thinking, is this the time to panic? And I remember it coming at going, can I fucking, am I going to like panic? This is it. Panic would just be let go and let the flow hit you. Like literally. The flow of the water, the current of the fucking water hit you. And I felt like the improv thing came back to me then, mm-hmm. which was this. Sit in it. Right. Just fucking deal with this moment and you will be taken care of. There, there was a article in Time Magazine a few years ago. They did Somebody did a study on these um, tragedies that happen, whether it's man-made or whether it's natural, earthquakes, floods... Bank robberies, um, where where there's life and death stuff, fires, tornadoes, airplane crashes, exactly, and they they looked at the survivors and what they did, and they broke it down into like it all came down to they all survived because of what they did in like one minute. You got one minute, if that. Basically, yes, one minute or less to determine. How you're going to, I mean, sometimes, obviously, you can't get out of this stuff, depending on what it is. But they broke it down, and the people, so they broke it down into 80% of the people freeze, total freeze. 
Like, deer in the headlights. Tell me what to do. Tell me which door to go out. 80% of people. 80% of the people. 10% of the people freak the fuck out. Panic and and generally make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes decisions that they take over as leaders where the 80% will go, oh, okay. And then there's the 10% who are the non-panickers who take a deep fucking breath and somehow trust that there's a way out of this thing. Right. And they end up instinctively doing things that uh, they should not be able to do because they're not freaking out. You have to do something. Right. You can't just sit up there on stage and or in a fire and do nothing. You got to do something. Right. But they're not panicking either. And I remember reading that. I think, you know, and I, I as I look back now in the last 10 years, um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? You never know how you're going to react. But there's been a lot of shit certainly thrown uh, our way in my life. And I, I can't think of one time where uh, I didn't, uh, I mean, I wanted to freak out, but I didn't. And a lot, I think a lot of it was because of I was trying to I was my mom's voice, mm-hmm. you know. I was I was I wanted to. Uh, she couldn't speak for herself, right? So I'm her advocate, and I also had that little that little team, you know, my little Baron's Barracudas, my my wife and my aunt, and uh, and just a lot of good solid training on trusting in myself and in in the moment and. And not freaking out. Do you think that has anything to do? Because I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I, I agree. I agree with all of that, and I also agree with the with my history of saying I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where I've been in the panicker, drowning. But I didn't panic. No, you didn't. You, right, I right. didn't panic. I didn't panic. I was aware of the option of panicking, right. and I didn't panic. Um, uh, I've directed plays. I was the artistic director in Second City for a number of years. Um, I travel on my own. Um, I set up my own gigs. I am. I consider myself a leader. Um, but that's not to pat myself on the back. It's just like no, you're teaching. My, but you're teaching all over the world. I'm I mean, teaching all over the world. I mean, that's that's that's, that's and, really and, impressive. Well, from I I love it. I love it. And the reason I'm I'm saying this is I wonder if that. Um, that personality trait of saying, wait, uh, as a director of a play, there are, there's a lot of fucking juggling going on. As a director of a movie, you have that gene in order to go, I am, I, something needs to happen and I think that I can do it. And, and for me, I look at that and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I, I think... I would be one of the, the, the 10% that would say, like, l- look, yes. let's go. And I know that I wouldn't be the 10% that would survive the D-Day of going in, like during Saving Private Ryan. Right. At the beginning of that movie, I've gone, that's me. I'm the one that, that looks up goes, hey. <laughs> right. I mean, right. <laughs> I'm that guy. But in any other situation. I'm not sure I'm getting off that boat, right? Right. Exactly. Like in the moment. Right. I mean, it all depends on the circumstances. But in general, I agree with you. Uh there's something in us, and maybe it's because of the, you know, I think it's the, um, the, the fearlessness. You know, I remember one of my first, uh, when I went to the Groundlings, which is so much different in my experience with the, um, um, the Improv Olympic and Dell and the Barracudas, 
I never, I never, I always had a tough time doing improv, improv at the uh, Groundlings. Um, and are you familiar with how they do it? Yeah. And very funny. It's just different, right? right? It's 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 quick, right? And um, blackouts, like boom, 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 quick. And I, I kept telling like my all my, I I became a writer at the Groundlings. That's the one thing that really where it really helped me you know, with characters and writing. But I struggled with the improv there, and it's because it was that it was not slow comedy. It right. was it was it, I was always waiting. They kept no, you got to go attack, and I'm like. I, I, that's I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling that and it, it, I struggled with it. Is it fair enough to say maybe it's not that it's more product oriented than it is process oriented? I think so. I, I think that, um, and there's still like you know try to stay away from jokes and stuff. And some, I mean some of the best improvisers I've ever seen I saw at the Groundlings, like like really gifted improvisers. And they're moving a mile a minute. And I'm like, how are you doing that? Right. Because, boy, that's they're, they're going really... And they're like, how are you doing that? I struggled with it because I kept saying, no, no, I, I did the... There's this Herald thing and we, we did it. They said, no, no, this is like a three-minute improv bit. I go, I know, I know, no. But I think if we, you know, if we just just take our time... It's like that wasn't the, that wasn't the gig. You were not, you were no that wasn't the gig. That wasn't the gig. That's not the gig. That's not the, the gig. The gig is what are we doing? Okay, we're working at Dunkin' Donuts and we are we speak uh, Chinese. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go. No. And and I think the idea of that's not the gig is the fucking huge thing right there. Is to go. Yeah, that's not the gig. Yeah. And and for you to go in there, um, I totally understand why you'd want to make that the gig because that's your gig. Uh, I remember when I was at Boom Chicago, which is uh, a sketch and improv and uh, games yeah. in Amsterdam. And I was hired to go there and to work with these people for like a weekend or something like that and bring the slow stuff there. And right. they went, we love this. We want to do this here. And I was like, no, that's not the gig. Right. That's not your gig. You're going to struggle here. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's a major thing that you're going to struggle here if you don't accept the fact that this is not that gig. And I wonder how many people are at a place going, oh, this place is just fucking me over. I wish it wasn't like this. Like, just know that you might be at the wrong gig. Well, you, you know what? I, I look at the, like the two, um, I look at the Improv, Olympic, and Barracudas, and the Herald, and I look at the Groundlings. The Groundlings is, like you said, product. It's it's showbiz, right? It's and it's very effective. You right. know, I mean, I loved being able to like write bits on a Tuesday and then they were up, and we're working them out, and it was fast and it was, it was really fulfilling in that way. But um, it wasn't ensemble. No, no, no. It, it was. I I I I got a direction from one of the directors there very talented person who said you are writing too many ensemble scenes you are you need to start focusing on your characters or your down lefts you know what the down lefts are no so that's one thing that I never um, I, I personally struggle with because I came from this group right by the way I've been looking for that group right ever since that ended for me in whatever year that was well you came here in 80 yeah, 89 right I've been looking for the Barracudas I've right. been looking for the 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 ensemble right and I I'm still looking you know I every once in a while I'll, I mean I've I've worked with incredible people but I've, I've never been able to replicate the trust and the um, fearlessness of that thing that we did that you're still doing right and I know that, that it's still happening with people like Joe I mean I, I I see that there's still people and I love 
I don't know if I could do it anymore. I don't know that I know that. I don't know that. I don't know that you know that. I think that you don't. I don't. I think that those people are out there. I really believe that I. Do you know um, Peter Marietta? I know his name. I don't know. Okay, fine. So Peter used to own. Peter and Eliza used to own Bang, which is a theater on Fairfax, right. 457 at Fairfax. And I taught there. Um, before I taught there, we had one of our meetings at the, the farmer's market, and he and Eliza said, We want to put a group together. And uh, what we're doing is we're putting, uh, and, he, and he called it this. He says, we're putting a band together. And I was like, a fucking band. Okay, great. Everybody in this uh, improv group plays a different fucking instrument. And and now that I'm thinking about Barons, it was those, that was a fucking band. That was a band. Um, and we lasted, I think we did a show every Thursday in here in LA at that space for 13 years oh my god and the only reason that we stopped was uh, D. Ryan moved back to Chicago but you know I would never thought that I would ever have a group like that and that was the fucking best group that I've ever had yeah well I'm certainly not suggesting that they don't exist I'm no. saying that for me right. Right. I've always had my eye on like boy you know that was a special time and, and I, I got spoiled early sure. I was you know 22 right and I I mean Dell was like right there you know? Dell was also sober, right? Like, like the most sober that he was ever. We were on stage multiple times a week, doing a show, forty minute Herald, and you were the MC playing. <laughs> and you were the fucking MC, you know, right. playing the saw, and you were the one with the with the applause meter, and you yeah. were that fucking man. Yeah. There. I was teaching back then, and I, I, I told my wife, I said I, I was teaching. She was like, "You were teaching improv." I go, "Yeah, I, like." I taught improv at one point in my life. And that's why I look at what you're yeah. doing and I'm seeing what you, you keep spreading the word and, and it, I, I respect it so much because that's really, you know, it's like teaching people on how to do this and how to, boy, that's... It requires, that, that, one of the things that really... It's hard, I'm sure. It's hard and it requires you to, a major part of it is, is, is a realization is this. Everybody is on their own learning curve. And the important thing is, and this is what I learned from from working with with Dell and all the people was, you gotta meet people where they are. And so in that that gaffe that you made in that, it's like, I get to meet you where you are in that moment. Right. Whether I want that scene to be, what it, whether I want that scene to be there or not, fucking doesn't matter. This is where the fuck we are. And to meet people where they are is just, the greatest gift that you can give yourself because then you have no expectations you have you are living in the moment and you and you're collaborating with somebody you're fucking collaborating with somebody i also want to point this out too that that time was i mean steve nobody was to say this is not hyperbole nobody was doing what we were doing there was fucking nobody doing that and i tell right. students that now i'm like i i say you know i I don't know if this is true or not, but I can't be that far off. I was in the second house team. You were. And I'm not talking about the second house team at this theater. I'm talking about the second fucking house team. You were in the first house team ever. And to look at that and go, who was teaching improv back then? Nobody was teaching the Herald. Nobody knew who the fucking Herald was. Very few people knew who Dell was. And... And, and to watch you guys, and we had crowds, if I remember it. We, we had fucking big crowds. Yeah. And then to, to, for them to do, you know, I'm, I'm on a roll. For them, to, for, for y'all to do uh, uh, Honor Finnegan versus the Brain of the Galaxy. And, and, and to take this idea and then make a show out of it. You know, to, you were in that, right? I was. Yeah. yeah. And to look at that and go, that, what an amazing thing that was. I still can't, I mean, I still can't believe that we, that was one of those great things that happened 
because Dell was, you know, he hadn't done a show in a while and, and he decided he was going to write a show with the group and we're going to like do it together. And then we're like, I'm like, how are we going to do this? And then he said, okay, well, you're going to be the Elvis in space and Judd's going to do this and Howard's going to do this. It's a band. And the next thing you know, we've got like four or five scenes. And the next thing you know, we've got an act. And the next thing you know, we have a whole show. Yep. I was still, my head, even I look back, I was like, how did we do that? We, right. we just trusted in it. And we, we um, um, I, boy, I don't know. How, it was uh, it was a real privilege to be able at that point. It's also so fucking exciting. Again, nobody, yeah, it was there's exciting. no comparison. Like you've got captain, my captain, Dell is your fucking captain. And you go, what do you want us to do, man? Like, what, what the fuck do you want us to do? Right. I mean, I remember classes there, and, you know, I don't really often get an opportunity to talk to somebody, but I remember classes there where Dell would come in, and he would do probably 25 to 30 minutes of just a monologue yeah. about something that he was thinking about, and then we would jump up and he goes, oh, well, I guess we should go to the stage. And, you know, <laughs> like, do that good. fucking thing. And get up there, and it's like and I was thinking about Paisley. It's like okay, and then we do a Harold and Paisley, right. or we do like two Harolds at the same time. Yeah, like what the fuck was that? Like the crazy. Yeah, I remember doing back. Somebody said, "Let's what? What would a backwards Harold look like?" Right. And like, <laughs> do we really want to do this? And we we did it. Like we we ended where we began, and we began. I mean, it was like we did it, and it was actually pretty good. Right. I mean, it was it was messy, but. How are we? And it wasn't just like walking backwards or stuff like that. No, talking no, backwards. No, it was. No. It was the scenes. I do remember that. We did I a backwards hero. I mean, we I we were being that. thrown like these fastballs, right? And we were hitting it. Yeah. Like, how are we hitting these? Yeah. We were just all on the same. We were a band. I think that's. Um, yeah. And do you remember um, ever having the? I'm sure, like Dell knew your name. Dell, we weren't sure. Some of us. Dell didn't know my name. I can tell you that for, we, we knew Dell knew in the Barracudas. We knew Dell knew Pasquese and Honor and Howard because he would use their names. And Judd and I and Bill, I mean, we were convinced because we went a year, right, of being the house band, but he never mentioned our names. You know, Sharna mentioned our names. Uh, I... But he'd go, oh, yeah, this, yeah, this guy did this thing. And yeah. I'm like, oh, he's pointing to me, I guess. I don't know. But he doesn't know our fucking names. And one of the great moments of my time there was during the Honor Finnegan days. That was the first, when he was casting. And we're sitting around one night, and he says, okay, well, um, I think uh, Judd will play uh, Reagan. I'm like, oh, my God, he knows Judd's name. I'm so excited for John Judd, Right. And then a couple days later, uh, I think we have Steve play the saw. He'll probably do an Elvis thing. I'm like, he fucking knows me. <laughs> he said my name. And I'm sure maybe Sharna like put a card out for him prior because we have to oh, cast behind it. Behind you. Something. But I was there a very long time before I was even convinced he knew who our names. And it didn't even matter. It was kind of cool. We kind of liked it. Uh, it's so funny you should say that it is so this is so I love this so much because I always felt I was like the only one who he didn't know my name no. so I was there for a year and a half and I came and I told this story before I was there for a year and a half and I said Sharna I got some pot let's go we'll smoke some pot and she's like well I'll have Del come and I'll go that's great you know has Del if you want to come and, uh, and they were like maybe four <laughs> feet away from me and uh, Del and Sharna went um, uh, uh, 
Uh, we've got uh, you want to get high and I don't know get high it's like who's got pot and it's like uh, Dave and she goes he goes who's Dave and I'm like Dave Rosowski I don't know who's Dave Rosowski like Dave Rosowski and and he goes I don't know who that is and then she points to me and he goes and he so obviously you can't see this on the radio or whatever we're listening to he takes his hand and puts it over his face like a big nose guy like a big nose going, oh that guy and like, that's how he knew wow yeah, you know, I have video of Dell. Uh, toward the end, I was starting to videotape stuff. We were making little shorts, and I actually asked Sharna if I could get Dell to be in some of these little sketches, and she talked him into it. and And I, I recently found these uh, videotapes of Dell, like I'm kind of directing directing Dell badly, by the way. But he did everything I I would ask him to do, and I got these crazy tapes of Dell sitting in his new apartment. And his new leather oh, coat. Oh, over by where yeah. Sharna used to live. Right. Underseen. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, okay, you're 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 the owner of Stuckies. I had this whole thing. And he he never told me to fuck off. <laughs> he, he, I said, you own the whole thing is you're the owner of Stuckies and you love these pecan log rolls or something like that. <laughs> and then I mean I really want you to like you're the you know, this is a big pitch for you. And he did it. I mean, why did he do it? And it's good. Right, and it's sitting in my closet, and I got to do something with it. So, at some how point. old do you think he was back then? You know. Well, when did he? How old was he when he died? I, I can't remember. He died in '99. He know died that. in '99. You didn't go out to see. You were no. I, yeah. I, I I was in the hospital. I was going to come out, but I was I was I was having kidney stones. Okay. I was in Cedar Sinai. Uh huh. But I had seen him a few years prior. Uh huh. And I feel like. Boy, oh boy! How old was Del? Well, let's find this out. I'm gonna. I don't. I don't mean to. Do I think this, he was 65, maybe. How old was Del Close when he died? Chuck Close is 78 years old. Chuck Close. No. You know what? <laughs> Del was turned 50 uh-huh. when we were late 80s, because he had a he had a birth. There was a he had a uh, he gave a monologue on when he turned 50. Uh huh. So if that was like in the 80s, 80, 88, he lived another 10 years. He was probably 60, 62, uh, 63. He died, so he was born in 34. 34, so. uh, 84, that's 50. So he's, yeah. Wait, is that right? 34, 50? He died when he was 65. Okay. Yeah. So he was, you know, I was, I'm, 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 young, I'm older than he was back then. But man, what a fucking actor. What an actor, and you know, I, I never needed a guru, uh, so I looked at him just as somebody who really, really had had a lot of information that I wanted. Yeah, and that's what I, and that's what I love. I agree with you. And and you reach a point where you go, I don't think I do not want to be on his bad side because we've all seen fuck off turkey. And I was there the first night he ever did that. Fuck. Did we ever see that person again? Like, no, there, probably not. There was the rule of three. There was the th- there was the three uh, fuck off turkeys and and. Um, uh, there was the first guy was a guy named Tom, and I was there. Tom was like a guy who uh, I can still picture. He had great, old, a little older guy, gray I know hair. What you're talking about, yeah. And he and was always in the classes. And then and Tom, this guy just irritated Dell. And we were, we, and, and all of a sudden he did the fuck off turkey, and we never saw this guy again. Like we thought, did he just spontaneously, like this guy? And then and then some other unwitting person came in and started doing jokes. Some stand up guy. And it was the FOT, as Howard used to call it. The uh-huh. FOT, the fuck off turkey. <laughs> so, and we would take those master classes with Dell. Right. <clears throat> but it was like the rule of three. Right. We've seen two fuck off turkeys. Right. And 
when's it coming? When's it coming? And at some point, it came. I do remember somebody... Were you there for a fuck-off turkey? I was was there for a fuck-off turkey. Oh, for for sure. I would not know fuck-off turkey if I wasn't there for a fuck-off turkey. Uh, There was one guy who said... um, Good. Like, he's like, fuck-off turkey. And and the guy went, I pay for this class. Yeah. And then he whips out money and throws it on the ground and goes, grab your money and get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... um, Oh, my God. Howard would know the last fuck-off turkey. That kind of sounds like the second fuck off turkey. I would imagine. I would imagine. Or maybe maybe there were more. Maybe he broke his own rule. It could have been. It could have been. It could have been. Uh, I remember when he made. It was it. fucking frightening though. The first time I heard it. Fuck off turkey. I remember him going off on Mick, on Mick Napier, like making Mick, Mick cry. And the next week, he Dell felt so fucking bad. But it's like wow, that was one person. Like I, I people think that I I get I get very I get very. Um, passionate about yeah. what I do and I think people like like I will yell but it's never a yell with anger behind it yeah. it's yelling like passion behind it but people see it in a different way but Dell was genuinely pissed off yeah. and he did not he's one guy that not did not fucking suffer fools no. did, have you read uh, Sam Wasson's book Improv Nation no I know it it's fucking great. Really? It's, it's fucking great. And you know everybody in this fucking book. And it just talks about Dell's journey like and his life. And it's not like the book Guru, but I cannot recommend it enough. Okay. Improv Nation. Improv Nation. I'll get it. I can't re- recommend it enough. Yeah. I have a copy for you. I'll give it to you. Okay, great. That'd okay, be, uh, good. Uh, let's end there. That was a fucking blast. Love talking to you. Oh, this is great, Dave. Thank you. I really didn't look too far ahead. I dealt with the present. I wasn't thinking forward. If I were to be thinking forward on any of these things, I would have been paralyzed with fear and none of this would have existed. I trusted my inner Dell close. It's always been a part of me. Thank you, Steve Burrows. I relate 100% to that. Steve's movie Bleed Out is streaming on HBO. It's profound, it's not an easy watch, but it's truthful, honest, and real. I'll post a link to that Herald that we did that uh, Steven and I mentioned. Uh, Take a look at it. I think it's going to be worth it. Until then, I'll see you in your ears.